for joining me on this week's Awesome Friday Gaming Podcast. I'm Simon, and over the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to look at a modern game, and also look at something from the archives and see if they compare at all. So it's been a busy week in gaming, as you probably heard from my last podcast and from the film podcast that we did, because this week we're going to talk about one of my all-time favourite franchises, and at one point my all-time favourite game which is the Halo franchise. And I wish there was some way to find out how many hours I've put into Halo over the years, especially sat side by side with Steve, destroying him in couch multiplayer. Now he'll tell you a different story, I'm sure, but trust me. So let's go back to the beginning of when Halo really made an impact before we talk about the most recent game and one of the others from the franchise that you may not expect me to mention. So Halo came out on November 15th, 2001. My first contact with Halo as a gamer, though, was mid-2002 when I bought a pre-owned Xbox with Halo. And, of course, it changed everything for console first-person shooters, much in the way that Goldeneye did for the N64. Because really, up until that point, first-person shooters were the property of PCs, especially ones that took big swings and had big creative ideas. The problem, I think, was the the jump from mouse and keyboard to twin sticks. It never really felt um, comfortable until that point. And it's really interesting going back and playing pre-Halo console first-person shooters. FPSs have come a long way now, so we assume the controls to be more natural. But Halo should take a lot of credit for being that really that first FPS that got twin stick shooting right. Everything about Halo, the way it moved and the way you integrated with the world, just felt really, really natural, especially on that giant initial Xbox pad that felt like something from X-Extends. Halo's route to the Xbox is interesting because it started out as a real-time strategy game, a third-person RTS on the Mac. And it was even shown at a Mac gaming event before Microsoft spied the the possibilities and the potential here and bought developer Bungie to develop Halo exclusively for their brand new console. And there was a time, remember, when the idea of Microsoft making a console was a crazy idea. The initial news reports around Microsoft's console ideas were uh, expecting it to fail. And I think the acquisition of Bungie and placing Halo as this game that really defined the system was its key selling point at the beginning. And you didn't have to wait for legitimacy because you had this game right at the beginning of this console's life that was like a statement of intent for the power of the Xbox. And by and large, the original Xbox lived up to that promise. It's a fantastic console. So why does Halo work after all these years? And that's a really... Interesting question that I don't think even the developers know how to answer. And that's perhaps more apparent than ever with Halo Infinite. Halo managed to find this balance between a spectacular science fiction story that pushed you forward along a linear route. But along that linear route was a wide playground. And in that wide playground, you had this golden triangle of movement, shooting, exploration. It's referred to now as the Bungie gameplay loop. And their whole idea with Halo was 10 seconds of fun. That every 10 seconds there would be something new to engage you. And Halo's 
extremely successful, especially when you look at its development stories and you see how much they cut for money and for time. And some of the uh, elements of the original Halo that have become famous were last minute decisions to cover the things they had to cut. There's a, a, a part in particular where you have to escape this tall, looming library that has had some criticism from a modern point of view, but at the time it had this incredible claustrophobic feeling. And of course it was on the back of a twist. And the twist in the original Halo, this late stage edition of the Flood, these incredible new enemy types that completely changed how you play the game and almost overwhelmed you. I don't think there's been a time since in any Halo game that's had the same kind of feeling. We always expect the Flood now. The Flood with these symbiotic creatures who could latch on to any dead body and then infect it and cause them to become almost zombie-like but far more dangerous. And that I remember clearly when that twist happened in the original Halo, I couldn't actually believe that it was happening because I hadn't experienced a game before that had spent so long establishing the enemies, the location, the fighting styles, only to pull that rug out from under your feet. And it was exhilarating. So that was back in 2001. Up until 2007, Bungie successfully continued the franchise with Halo 2 and Halo 3, of course. Halo 2 was interesting because it experimented with a split viewpoint where you play half the game as Master Chief and half as the Arbiter. And that had very mixed reception. It's interesting that later on Halo 5 tries a similar trick to, uh, in a far less successful way. But up until 2007, they didn't just release 2 and 3, but the incredible Halo 3 ODST, which is my personal favourite Halo, and Halo Reach, which of course has no Halo in it whatsoever. It's about the escape from the planet Reach just as the Covenant destroys the planet. And it's a far more mature take on the story. And it, it's many people's favourites. It is a fantastic game. But in 2007, Bungie, the developers split from Microsoft. And there's many theories why they did this. Money or boredom or they wanted something new. But what was clear was that Halo was this incredible franchise and Microsoft could not leave it just dangling in the wind. So they put together their own in-house development team called 343. 343 is a reference to a character from the original Halo, so it has a very strong connection to the original series, rather. And the next couple of years were 343 developing where Halo should go and what would become Halo 4. Halo 4 is a very interesting game, and it's actually the game we're going to talk about later because it is so divisive and it did try something new with varying levels of success. After Halo 4, Halo 5 went back a bit to the roots with a more familiar setting, but again it split the viewpoint between a set of Spartans chasing the Chief and the Chief doing his own thing, basically. Halo 5 was interesting up to a point, but there is, in the second half of that game, a strong push for co-op play. In fact, some of the bosses in the second half of Halo 5 
are almost impossible in solo play. And uh, that that was really disappointing to me because I thought the first half of Halo 5 was some of the best modern Halo I'd ever played. So that leads us to where we're going now. And that's the release of Halo Infinite, which for all intents and purposes is Halo 6. But Halo Infinite has been released and developed at a time now where the gaming landscape for first-person shooters has changed. They're expected to be ongoing services. And of course, Halo is built on the back of a strong single-player campaign that can be replayed, that can also be played in split-screen co-op or online co-op, and a multiplayer component. So we get to 2021, and Halo Infinite is finally released after a number of delays. And the story behind its development is pretty incredible because you, we won't know for a couple of years the true extent of this, but it's pretty clear that it got reset a few times. They even brought on one of the original designers of the original Halo to push it over the line. And that's the thing with Halo Infinite. So I've been playing Halo Infinite for the last week, playing through some of the multiplayer and some of the single player game. And what's absolutely clear to me is that their intent with Halo Infinite at the beginning was to make this sprawling open world. Of course, everyone calls it Zelda-like because of Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild wasn't the first, obviously, to take the single-player game and turn it into this massively successful and populated open world. But it's a good reference point for many devs these days. And Halo originally was meant to be a single open world. But it sounds like the technical restrictions of actually getting that into place are all too apparent. The first gameplay reveal of Halo Infinite showed a game that was not particularly attractive with low quality textures and icons everywhere. And so many fans of the series had kind of written it off. And to be fair, the team at 343 should get credit for turning this game around. Whatever they had to do, and I can't even imagine the crunch in the last year for these people, but they've turned around a game that is very, very different in look and feel from that initial reveal. Maybe they showed it too early, and this was always going to be the case. But Halo Infinite, because it's designed and intended to be this ongoing service, has a different focus for its campaign. Of course, the multiplayer got released a couple of weeks prior and is free to play. And I hear very good things about the multiplayer. I've played a few games myself. I've played a few games too. It's really interesting that the Halo multiplayer for me is couch, um, couch multiplayer. I don't really like playing online with people I don't know. Certainly for Halo. So it's fine. The Halo multiplayer is good. And it's you can see the design intent to have it as a platform for the future. So I really think that the campaign is a bit of an afterthought, which is, for me, a little bit disappointing. Halo's always been about the campaign, the stories, the big swings, for better and for worse. And the thing about Halo Infinite is that the swings, for me, are not there. So the entire game is set on the Zeta Halo, this new Halo, which we, um, we're not really introduced to until it's just there. The beginning of Halo Infinite 
shows a, the end of a battle, which I was trying to remember was the end of Halo 5, but it's not. It's just a whole dose of context. And there's enemies you don't know, there's a key baddie you don't know, and it starts with Master Chief floating in space, basically, above this Zeta Halo. And with the help of uh, a Yonessi soldier, he gets down to the Halo itself. And he finds a new version of Cortana to find the old version of Cortana, who is still rogue, who is still the, the antagonist here. But the game itself is basically split into two halves. When I say game, I mean the campaign. You've got the overworld section, and here it's touted as an open world. And really, it's more like large chunks of an open world that you can move between rather than a single continuous world. And then dotted over the ring are some Forerunner installations. And the architecture inside this, these installations are this beautiful blue, like cathedral-like tall structures. The kind of things that we've seen in Halo 4. But for the majority of the game, it's silent cartographer, the game. Now, if you recognize that reference, Silent Cartographer was a mission from Halo that everyone thinks is the beginning of Halo, but it's a few missions in, where you finally ride a pelican, not an actual pelican, that's the little spaceship they ride, over this expanse. And remember, we've got to put context into play here. In 2001, we'd never seen anything of this scope. So flying in, looking out the back of the ship as you sweep over the, the green lush land and land on this halo was absolutely mind-blowing. And from that point, you are able to move forward in a linear path, but with split um, objectives. So you had to do three of something to move on. And I just have to say, like many, many other games, this game is absolutely obsessed with the idea of doing three of something before you can move on. But we'll get back to that. So Silent Cartographer is remembered as this wide straight line. So you can approach the objectives any, any way you want. You can explore this land. Your um, approach to combat is up to you. You can go quiet or loud, much like the original Far Cry or Far Cry 2. You can choose your approach and it's rightly remembered as this incredible moment in gaming because we really hadn't had anything like that before but the thing about halo is that it uses it as a jump off point to tell its story so it pushes you forward the advantage of a contained campaign is that you can change the environments or the biomes if you like part of a game's progression is moving through different areas. And the problem with Halo Infinite for me is that you have two areas. You have two environments. You have the green Halo exterior and you have the Forerunner blue grayish architecture inside. And I've played through quite a few hours of the campaign. And at the moment, I'm feel like I've seen everything visually the game can offer and as someone who plays these games for the story for the escapism of this science fiction story that's incredibly disappointing to me now yeah the gameplay yeah now the gameplay itself 
is as good as it's ever been. The combat is there. It's chunky. It's responsive. Chief has some new abilities, like a zipline, a Just Cause style zipline you can zip around and deployable shields and things like that and a boost. And they're all kind of fine. And when you get into the thick of it and darting between enemies and using the, the weapons you find, it still feels as chunky as ever. But the problem is, between each of these combat sections, you're left with one of two places. And because it is an open world, one of the first things the game told me, as I did one thing, I cleared this one area, and then it suddenly pulled back on the, on the map and did the Far Cry thing of saying, okay, you've done this one area, now here's ten more. And the approach and the gameplay is exactly the same. There's no difference apart from their architecture in how you approach these things. And instantly it just takes the wind out of my sails because for me that's not what a Halo game feels like. It almost feels like a bit of a mod actually. If someone took the original Silent Cartographer level and, and clever PC people expanded it and like duplicated the environment. Of course, I have no idea about game design, clearly. But it feels like they found a way to create instances in this singular environment. And really, because the game is a service, it's not a standalone game. They want it to be the kind of thing that people put money into for years and years and years. So they've made a scaffold for that. So I'm in this weird position now where I am uh, taking out three AA guns in order to move forwards. And I'm getting these holographic messages for these banished baddies that I have no idea who they are. I have no context. And I'm moving through two areas, the exterior and the interior. And unless the game has a, a, a very... Um, Unless the game has a twist that I'm not seeing at this point in terms of environment, then I'm not sure how much I want to actually keep playing through this environment. I have no interest in doing the same things over and over. I don't feel that push forward in terms of story, in terms of drama and stakes that I've had from so many other Halo games. And that's incredibly disappointing to me. But that's just the kind of person that I am. This is what I want from Halo. If you are the person who prioritizes purely the combat gameplay and the multiplayer, then you're going to have a great time with Infinite. They've pulled it out of the bag. That original reveal is a long time ago. Everything looks better. It's not a particularly astoundingly looking video game, um, but it is... Uh, it, it can be beautiful in places, and some of the architecture is still very, very beautiful. That real singular design. But beyond that, it doesn't have that push of other halos, that desperation of moving forward. So your mileage is going to vary completely on what you want from Halo. If you're a story player like me, this is going to leave you wanting if you're there just for the gameplay and you just want to repeat that loop over and over, well, it's been a long time since you've had it this good. So, go crazy. <laughs> but it's still definitely worth trying. And of course it's on Game Pass, which is a ridiculous deal. So, if you have 
the ability to do that, then make sure you give it a go. So that brings us to the second game we're going to look at today. And I've actually decided to pair Halo Infinite with another entry in the Halo franchise, as I mentioned earlier. We're going to look at Halo 4. And this may be an interesting choice because Halo 4 is really the black sheep of the Halo franchise now. Out of all the seven main entrants, entrants? Out of all the seven entries in the main entries, like not counting the, um, the other overhead shooters and things, Halo 4 really stands out. And not all for positive ways. <laughs> so Halo 4 is interesting. It's the first game developed by 343 Industries. And you can see that they are really trying to push something forward here. So first of all, that soundtrack. Up to that point, Halo had been a very certain soundtrack. With Halo 4, they actually employed a guy called Neil Davidage, or Davidage. And if that name rings a bell, then it's because he was one of the co-writers and producers for Massive Attack. Massive Attack had this huge UK-based trip-hop band, really instrumental in forming that sound in the 90s. So the Neil Davidage soundtrack is completely different from Marty McDonald's original Halo score. There are far more metal, I don't mean heavy metal, but literally metal percussion. A lot of the soundtrack feels like metal is being hit on metal. It's an extremely aggressive soundtrack. Some obviously very, very heavy trip-hop influences and dance influences. But there's also this incredible urgency to it. And the, the opening track, which plays over the opening mission of Halo 4, is absolutely one of my all-time favourite game soundtracks. And there's a track towards the end, which ends with metal percussion being hit over and over. And it doesn't sound like anything before or since. And it, it's really interesting. And what's interesting about that is that it kind of represents what 343 Industries tried to do with Halo 4. So where Halo 1, 2, 3 and ODST featured Halos and even reach the same kind of enemies, 343 decided with Halo 4 to try something new. So I, if anyone remembers at the end of Halo 3, the secret ending, if you complete the game on Legendary, where the chief, the chief, <laughs> where the chief is floating in space in his spaceship after the, the end events of Halo 3. And it comes across this metal looking planet, this forerunner planet. And Halo 4 picks up at that exact same moment the chief being activated because the ship is being pulled into effectively this giant Unicron style forerunner planet whilst also being invaded by the Covenant as well. So the first mission in Halo 4 is quite similar to the first in the original Halo in that you've got a spaceship invasion but it leads to you fighting on the outside of your ship and then crashing into this forerunner planet. And this is where things go different. 
there's right and wrong here. So the first main thing is 343 wanted new antagonists. The Brutes and the Covenants do appear, but the Forerunners in this game are this weird mix of metal and insect and don't look like anything else in the series up to that point. And the really interesting thing about their design of these enemies is that it really highlights the importance of silhouettes. I've read a, an interview with a Bungie designer about how they designed the Covenant enemies in the initial Halos. And for them, it was all about the silhouette. So the outline of this figure would immediately tell you who you're fighting and the threat level. So if you compare elites to brutes to the small guys to the big guys <laughs> i can't even remember their names the really big guys have those big green cannons that you have to shoot in the back and the problem with the halo 4 antagonists is that their halo their halos their silhouettes were not particularly interesting and not particularly memorable and i think there's a design issue there they're also really not that much fun to fight they do this weird zipping around, like teleporting thing. So instead of being able to track your enemies and watch as they flank you, and remember, Halo is famous for that flanking AI enemy behavior that works so well in the other games. Instead, you had teleporting enemies, and there's just so many times where you're killed in this game because someone just appears behind you. The weapons don't have that crunch of the battle rifle and the assault rifle and the missile launcher. They're more energy weapons and they don't have that deep impact of the other weapons in the game. So this is a game known for its golden triangle of combat that actually fluffs the combat. And that's a big issue for Halo. But on the flip side, there in Halo 4, we see new architecture and new ideas and here's where we start seeing the setup for the future as Cortana as antagonist because Cortana his AI is past her end of life date and so mentally she is being affected because her programming is failing and what I really like about Halo 4 is that it has the desperation of a character trying to save this secondary character that he clearly loves that he will do anything for and i think that's a really compelling motivation for a main character they kind of revisit this in halo 5 um, and it's it's there a little bit in infinite as well but because in the events of halo 4 master chief and cortana are together and there is a real connection between them and it makes the ending of that game even more devastating, where he actually fails to save her. And, of course, this sets up the future. They, they always wanted... You get the feeling Cortana was always planned to be a series antagonist after that point. But it's still a very deep moment. And for all of its failures in Halo 4, the ebb and flow of the levels are still better suited to this story. They made some big swings and unfortunately they incorporated some more modern gameplay elements like quick time events which are just not successful at all but there are lots and lots of interesting set pieces 
And that's what Halo Infinite is missing, is set pieces. Because set pieces are really hard to tie in with open world instances. In an open world, the general combat is sometimes what makes your unscripted set pieces. 343 have already said that you can't replay the campaign in Halo Infinite. You can't go mission to mission. They're going to bring that in, in in the new year with Couch Co-op. But the difference is, is that what you're left with is a story with no beats and troughs. You have no memorable moments. And Halo 4, for all of its failures, has this really interesting different design. This incredibly compelling soundtrack. And a love story that is highlighted by these very exciting, specifically designed set pieces. So I think if you have a memory of Halo 4 that isn't favourable, I think you should go back and revisit it, because it's really the last Halo that focuses on the single-player set-piece experience. Halo 5 Guardians was designed for co-op and has a split angle between the Spartans and Halo Chief. There's still some good set-pieces there, but the second half of that game made me want to throw my console out the window. And now we're at Infinite, where... It's a lowest common denominator Halo game. Now, the lowest common denominator is pretty great moment-to-moment combat. So if you want that, great. But if, like me, you're missing the highs and lows of specifically designed linear set pieces, those big creative swings, especially in a science fiction story, then you might be as disappointed as me. But I'm still going to play. I'm going to try and push through and finish the game. I'm ignoring as many of the side things as I can. Um, And I I would be happy if my opinion changes by the end of this Halo. But unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be. uh, But unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. But what I will do is go back and replay Halo 4. (laughs) And maybe even ODST. ODST is a wonderful game that is a great example of a fantastic linear campaign with highs and lows, brilliantly acted and written, great set pieces, and it has Firefight, and ODST Firefight, I think, is the best Firefight has ever been. So go back and remind yourself why you love Halo at the same time you try Infinite. (laughs) So that brings us to the end of the podcast today. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, remember... We love your support. Even if you just engage with us on Twitter, we're at AwesomeFridayCA on Twitter. If you want to give us any more support, we have a Patreon, and anything you give would really, really help us. But more than anything, we just love your engagement. So please let me know what you think, if there's anything you want me to cover in the future. And next week, because we're getting to the end of the year, I'm going to start talking about my all-time favourite games compared to my favourite games of this year. And there have been a number of games released in the last month that I think might make my end-of-year best list. So I look forward to that. So thank you for listening, and I will see you soon. Bye-bye.